So, John, what's the longest thing you've ever written about yourself? Hmm. Well, I'm about three volumes into my autobiography at this point. So, you know, <laughs> that's an ongoing project, really, though. Three volumes? Mm, it, it's quite the memoir, yeah. Wow, I mean, I've, okay. I've had such a fascinating life. There's, there's a lot in there. Well, you see, three volumes implies three titles. Mm-hmm. So what have you titled it? Ugh. Hadn't thought of an answer to that one. <laughs> Take a minute if you want. Well, obviously, there's the early years. Yes. Then there's the lost years. The lost years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, you know. what years have you lost? Most of my student days and a, few, a, a lot of my early 20s, I would say. What did you do in your early 20s? I don't know. The, the lost years. <laughs> <laughs> For a good answer, yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess that brings us to now, the golden years. I think you can do way better title-wise, John. Well, you stumped me. This was supposed to be a little cute little bit and you made me do specifics. So, you know, what, what do you want to do? <laughs> Some films are fine, just the way they are. Other films sometimes take it way too far. But really how, how bad could it get? Let's go beyond. Beyond the box set. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where today we are pitching prequels, sequels and spin-offs to Adaptation. We'll also be pitching some drinking games and hearing from my listeners with the submissions they've posted on Facebook and Twitter. But first, we're going to talk about some of our favourite moments and do a bit of a plot summary. I am Harry, the host with the most hair. Mm, for now. What do you mean for now? Time is a cruel mistress, you know. Let's just see how this plays out. My hairline is staying remarkably uh, still. I know um, your brother. I know what's coming. We've both seen what's coming. And joining me always, the co-host, with the most qualifications to start a writing career, is John Lucas. But some might say I already have one, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, though? Do you? I write on a daily basis in my day job and in this, whatever this is. Whatever this is. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. Um, right, John, so adaptation. Why do you pick this? Why did I pick this? This is just one of those interesting little films that's been on the back burner for a while, and it, it, it never felt like there was a right time to do it. But we've done some Charlie Kaufman stuff before. Mm. Uh, we did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and we did Being John Malkovich. Yeah. So, and they both were films I think we both enjoyed a lot. So, I don't know, it's after we went through a kind of a run of films that's you know were quite hit or miss i thought let's let's just let's just slip it in there and see how it see how it plays out Mm -hmm. so what did you think this was so boring oh no harry (laughs) really for the first half i was gonna say a, a guy gets eaten by a crocodile how boring can it be yeah sure sure yeah the first half of this was incredibly boring and then it picks up a bit in the second half but nowhere near as much as I wanted it to okay like so I knew what kind of films this writer and this director had had come out with because we've done being John Malkovich we've done Son of Sunshine Spotless Mind we've done her as well yeah exactly it's usually Um, quite a high hit rate for this guy so yeah yeah definitely and so with this like I think, I, I, I know, it, it It takes a while before you work out that you're watching the film that he's writing. Yes. And, yeah, exactly. you know, that's, that's very important. That's what the film's about, really. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to get there. And before it gets there, this guy is 
quite boring to watch, I find, and very unhappy and very uncharismatic. And the film starts with this awful narration of the guy's thoughts mm-hmm. that really tries to sort of set the scene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, there's images of, like, how the earth was created and, like, children being born and, well, him being born, I guess. And uh, Yeah, that, that, that does kind of hit you quite quickly. Like, that com- that really comes out of nowhere. The, oh, yeah. Like, hard cut to a baby's head yeah. crowning out of a vagina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that <laughs> was... not. Pre- I'm never prepared for that whenever we watch this film. I always forget it's in there, and it's like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> but, there's, yeah, there's, there's all that. And also, it starts off... In fact, it starts off black screen, and there's just the white credits at the bottom. Mm-hmm. introducing the film and they're in that that typewriter font mm-hmm. that generally when when that comes up it's credits and it's just a white typewriter font like the minimum amount of creativity but like oh it's a writer's film this is a film mm-hmm. for people who who write screenplays and write things because this is a this is the font that writers use and it sure. instantly turned me off and then it completely supported my beliefs in that font really <laughs> just yeah. like hey this is a film for writers and it is, and I didn't. Not, oh, it's... I didn't not enjoy it as well. By the way, I did. Enjoy, okay, good. I, I enjoyed a few bits of this. Good. Yeah, and so it all starts off just being seemingly just really lazily written, mm-hmm. and the guy is really uncharismatic and just so boring to watch. And then it gets to, I mean, a fair bit into the film, it gets to the scene where he goes to the lecture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that for me was the best bit of the film. Oh, when it cuts him off. Mid voiceover, yeah, pretty much. Cause, so at this point, we've already worked out that he is writing this film. Yes, and I think he has already caught up with himself as well. I mean, it feels like you're doing the plot. So you've kind of dived into the plots over here. Should we, should we move I'm, back a little bit? And... I'm just going off on a one. Let me finish. Okay, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, either way. So yeah, the the lecturer starts just telling him all these things that you shouldn't do. Like, hey, don't just do like narration of what the main character is thinking don't have a really mm-hmm. boring character because like people won't like it and I'm like oh, okay this film's got quite meta there so I see, I see yeah. what it's done here it's, it's making a, a big comment it's particularly on itself you know it's very deliberate in everything that it's done and I, I understand and respect that but it was still boring for the first hour <laughs> and I know it was deliberate mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know it was quite smart but it was still boring well I don't think it's being deliberately boring i think it's it's definitely a little slow and uneventful but again that yeah you're right it's commenting on itself because it's a book it's about a guy writing a book about flowers and like trying to find that interesting and trying to find a way to make it interesting and kind of failing yeah but yeah i think this is a film that definitely benefits from like watching it a second time sometimes Mm -hmm. because it's just once you like i said once you understand what it's doing it's kind of gives you a little bit more to go on. Because you're right, it does take a while to kind of get to that point and to mm. fully get you on board with where it's... with all the, the little tricks it's pulling on you. Yeah. Because yeah. it jumps around so much in the first hour, which is I think is a little bit hard to follow in places. Between, between it's jumping between him and then Meryl and Chris Cooper and mm. you know, the multiple plot strands. Mm. We, we, we will get to that. But yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like, I did enjoy this film, but I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily appreciate its big... Uh, gimmick gimmick's the wrong word but you know the thing sure. that this film has I didn't, sure. I didn't quite appreciate it as much as it wanted me to okay that's fair enough okay but on the whole did it win you round enough at the end to make it worthwhile yeah I'd say so yeah okay well, that's good I mean also in the first half I'll I'll get to it when the time comes 
But in the first half, I did come up with a uh, an idea of where the film was going. You know, try and guess where the film's going. Sure. And uh, I was wrong. And what I guessed was way better. So. <laughs> you could do so much better than Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that, but like, it's always damning when like you expect a film to be better than it is. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I look forward to hearing what your take on this would have been. <laughs> so tell me your thoughts on this crazy little project of ours. First, I think it's a great book. Laroche is a fun character, isn't it? Absolutely. And Orlean makes orchids so fascinating. Plus her, her musings on Florida and orchid poaching, Indians, it's, just, it's great sprawling New Yorker stuff. And I'd want to remain true to that. You know, I'd, I'd want to let the uh, movie exist rather, rather than be artificially plot-driven. Great. <laughs> I guess I'm not exactly sure what that means. Um, all right, then. So do you want to do a plot summary, then? I will. Absolutely. Okay. Adaptation came out in 2002. It's written by Charlie Kaufman, who, as we mentioned, also wrote Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine. And in fact, this film opens at the filming of Being John Malkovich. Yeah. So it's, it goes in and hard meta right from the start. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it really it leaves you under no illusions that this is a very meta film because we're actually showing the filming of being John Malkovich with all the actors. You've got actual John Malkovich there mm-hmm. in one of the key scenes where all of the other characters are dressed as John Malkovich. <laughs> and we're introduced to uh, Charlie Kaufman himself because the main character in this film is, in fact, the writer Charlie Kaufman, mm. played in this film by Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Uh, Nicolas Cage, who's having a kind of a classic midlife crisis in this film. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, he's kind of filled with self-loathing. The film opens with this like very long monologue of all the things he hates about himself. Mm-hmm. And that kind of continues on through most of the film, really. He's he's just basically had this huge success with John Malkovich. It's been very acclaimed. And he's kind of got this really good reputation in Hollywood. But he's very neurotic. And he's the film kind of opens with him taking on a new project to adapt a novel, a, a popular book um, that's been written by a New York journalist called Susan Orleans, who's yeah. played by Meryl Streep. yeah. And she's written this beautiful book that's uh, been very well received about flowers, about a guy who steals rare orchids. Um, And so Charlie Kaufman agrees in a meeting with Tilda Swinton to... I just remember my new favourite part of this film, but I will bring that up when it comes. (laughs) Okay, sure, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we see him in in this meeting with a literary agent played by Tilda Swinton. uh, And he's kind of outlining all of the problems. Sorry? I forgot she was in this. How long ago did you watch this? Well... Last night or the night before? Not long. But, like, okay. she has a remarkably small part in this film. Well, it's she wasn't that famous in 2002. Oh, really? Okay. There's lots of people in this who, like, like Maggie Gyllenhaal's in this for five minutes as well. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a lot of people who would have bigger roles now mm. in, in, in very tiny little cameos here and there. Yeah. But, yeah, we see him in this meeting with his literary agent where he's taking on this role of adapting this book. And he kind of lays out all the things he doesn't want to do. He's like, I don't want to make it a you know, just some Hollywood thing. Mm. I don't want to make it about sex or romance or learning big lessons or, you know, like people learning and having profound changes, you know, mm-hmm. or, or car chases. He's like, I, I don't want any of that bullshit because that's not real life. Mm, yeah. And I hope you notice that the list of things he says he doesn't want to turn it into at the beginning of the film are all the things that happen at the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Which I enjoyed. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I guess we thought that maybe Susan, Orlean and, and, and LaRoche could fall in love okay and but i'm saying it, it's like i don't want to cram in sex or uh guns or car chases you know I, I, or characters you, you know 
learning profound life lessons or growing or coming to like each other or overcoming obstacles to succeed in the end. You know, I mean, it's, it's, the, the book isn't like that and, and life isn't like that. You know, it just isn't. And <clears throat> you know, I feel very strongly about this. So this book he's agreed to write a screen adaptation for it, it concerns uh, this quirky character called John LaRoche, who's played by Chris Cooper, mm-hmm. who steals rare orchid plants from nature reserves. Mm-hmm. And the book is written from Meryl Streep's character's perspective as this journalist, as she kind of investigates his story and learns about him and the relationship that they kind of strike up over the course of her creating the story. And then the film that we're watching adaptation kind of cuts between these two stories. You've got Nicholas Cage as Charlie Kaufman trying to write the adaptation of the book. And then you've also got Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper kind of playing out the, the actual story of the book. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the plots, the interweaving plot that we see. So Nicholas Cage starts attempting to adapt the book. He very quickly hits a dead end. He can't figure out a way to make this story interesting from a screenwriting perspective because it's a very kind mm-hmm. of internal small story there's not a lot of like big incidents in it there's not mm-hmm. like a lot of sex drugs and rock and roll in it yeah so he doesn't want to do with something cliched but also he can't figure out a way to make this into an interesting film you might say he never succeeded <laughs> <laughs> but he, this kind of starts to really drive him crazy he's feeling a lot of pressure he's getting a lot of pressure from his agents, and because he's had this huge success with Malkovich, everyone's kind of expecting him to do a a classic Charlie Kaufman kind of thing, Mm -hmm. something really clever and meta, and he's really kind of railing against that a little bit, and it's just kind of driving him insane. Mm. Meanwhile, he's also sharing his house with his twin brother, or certainly his brother, called Donald, who is also played by Nick Cage. Mm Mm-hmm. And Donald is essentially his complete mirror image in every way. Mm-hmm. Donald is incredibly confident. He's quite charismatic. He's very optimistic. He doesn't have the same kind of self-loathing and self-doubt, even though they look identical. Yeah. He's very easygoing. He seems to be quite good with women. And life just seems to become very easily to him. He doesn't seem like he has any real problems. Like He's like, I'm going to do what you do. I'm going to become a screenwriter. And then as the film goes on, he just everything happens incredibly easy. Yeah. Much to Charlie Kaufman's frustration. Yeah, what did you think of the the two Nicolas Cage performances in this film? I yeah, I thought that they he did a really good job of making them quite different. Mm. I've, um, one thing that I get this is not the the main idea that I thought I thought this film was going, but one thing that I assumed was that there was going to be a twist halfway through, um, which this actually hints at as well that it was going to be a multiple personality situation. Hmm. But yeah, like his brother Donald even talks about, yeah, building a multiple personality disorder into my script. And I'm just like, well, yes. there's some foreshadowing right there. Sure, sure, sure. Well, it kind of, again, it's there's layers upon layers of this because in the film that we watch, Adaptation, mm. that's not the case. There no. are The brother seems to be real. But in real life, Charlie Kaufman doesn't have a brother called Donald. Mm, that's right, yeah. And he did actually make him up. But even though he made him up, he credited him. He's credited as co-writing the film. Yeah. On the credits, and he actually got nominated for an Oscar. Oh, really? For best adapted screen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he might be the only made-up person to ever be nominated for an Oscar. Because at the Oscars, when this was nominated for best adapted screenplay, uh, it was the award was um, it didn't win, he didn't win, but uh, the award was credited to Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman. Even there's <laughs> no such person as Donald Kaufman. <laughs> so it is about a multiple personality disorder character in a way. Like it is, it is a made-up character, but in this in the world of this film, he's real. But yeah, I was I was really seeing it as. Um, as a big multiple personality thing because 
They really are. You the, thought it was a Fight Club situation, no. sort of thing. Yeah, like they are the polar opposites while also being identical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's very deliberate. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. So, but yeah, it, I think it's really interesting because I think Nicolas Cage is someone you expect to do so much big yeah. acting. You know, like, that's what he's famous for. Like he's, he's such a ham. He's so over the top mm-hmm. and everything. And you, that's what you expect when you go and see a Nicolas Cage film. And it's so rare to see him just doing quite subtle stuff because there are no Nicolas Cage moments in this movie. You know, in, like, and I mean that as a compliment. Like, I don't mean that like... <laughs> but also, I love Nicolas Cage moments. You know, that's what I, I like for Nicolas Cage. So, you know, but there's no like vampire's kiss moment in this. There's mm. no, there's no, the, the bees, oh God, the bees, you know. Yeah. There's none of that at all. He's just playing two very subtle but very clearly distinguished characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's really interesting to see him do that because he does it so really. Yeah. And that man has a very hairy chest. He does. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought it was really interesting because he's, he's kind of, um, I think he's wearing a fat suit. Mm. But uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's played himself as a bit heavier. He's, he's got like this crazy curly hair that's kind of, he's, he's balding. So yeah. like, it seems like fatter Nicolas Cage with curly hair is basically Gene Wilder. <laughs> He looked so. Did you think he looked so much like Gene Wilder, the guy now, who plays Willy Wonka? It, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. I was like, my God, that—that's what Nicolas Cage would look like if he'd looked a bit like this. Like. <laughs> but you're right. He's a very hairy man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such a carpet he's got on his chest. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Sounds like it made an impact on you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a big surprise. What did you think he'd be smooth? The kind of a smooth shaven. No, kind no, of guy? no. But I just wasn't expecting it. All right. Okay. <laughs> What? Yes. It was notable. Ah, oh, shut up. Move on. All right, fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. You're right. He's he's got quite the rug there. Um, <laughs> were you jealous? I mean, I am looking right now at your rather pitiful little sproutings peeking out of the duvet. So. Shut up. I'm not jealous. Lovely. <laughs> Listeners, I'm my 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 home studio is just me in bed, so I'm just you know naturally topless. Such a treat for me. Anyway, so yeah, so the main plot of this film really concerns Charlie Kaufman as he really struggles to figure out a way into this story. And he kind of, as you mentioned, he kind of drabs himself nuts trying to find different ways to make it interesting and make it cinematic. Mm-hmm. And we see that through, the, we see that kind of shown on the screen, the different ways in which he does that. Like, for instance, the montage at the beginning that you mentioned with the kind of, this very grand kind of dawn of time kind of story that he kind of tries to make happen. Yeah. And then he starts trying to write himself into it, where he is... He starts to try and write a story about him struggling to write the story. Mm-hmm. But then he decides that that's too pretentious. And he, he's just so filled with self-doubt that he decides that that doesn't work at all. He, he, he almost scraps it because he can't figure out a way to bring it to a satisfying ending. Mm. All the while, his brother just keeps wandering into shot every now and again going, did another chapter. I've sold it for five million. Like it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's, it's just completely at ease, completely like no struggle whatsoever. And it's just driving Charlie Cofford utterly utterly bonkers yeah um i think this might be was this the bit where the script kind of caught up with with itself yeah it kind of happens around the midpoint i'd say like it depends like there's little hints here and there but yeah because this was the point where i was like okay here we go the script has caught up with itself now the film's really going to kick into gear because the first you mean when he decides to make it about himself struggling to write the book yeah yeah okay sure yeah. yeah that's about the midway point yeah yeah, because the, cause the whole film so far kind of be building up to that point, I felt. Mm-hmm. And the way that I thought it was going to go was that he starts writing his own future. 
Right, I see. Because, like, so far... Like, making his own future happen. Yeah, basically. Like, okay. he's writing this book that maybe it's... Or the screenplay that's not quite finished yet. Or maybe he writes it ahead and then... I don't know, he has to live exactly what that screenplay is, even though he's already written it. Right. And then okay. he learns that and he finds that out and he starts writing his own future. That's that's what I was expecting. And then, like, he he comes out of this sort of this midlife crisis that he's in and, mm-hmm. you know, he... He gets he gets the waitress as his girlfriend or whatever, and you know things just start going start going well. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, so he he's he's able to manipulate the world around him yeah. through his writing. Yeah, mm. that's what I was expecting from this. I was expecting okay. it to get to get a bit meta and a bit confusing, and I also thought that'd be a very Charlie Kaufman thing. Like it feels a little bit of John sure. Malkovich, like John Malkovich yeah. going through the door. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was just really excited to see that happen and see how it was going to go, but then it just, it, it didn't. Mm-hmm. And what did happen, I found, I mean, it still had some entertaining value, definitely, but I found it fairly disappointing. A man gets eaten by a crocodile! Yeah, but like, what the rest of the film is about. Sure, okay, fine. I'm not yeah, saying it, it didn't have exciting moments, but like, sure. I think after this point, there's not really much more that this film has to give. Like if mm. you think if if I ask you now in one sentence what is this film about? It's about the struggle of creativity, I guess. Basically, yeah, it's about Charlie Kaufman yeah. writing himself into a story because he has no better idea. Sure, sure, sure. And yeah. by this point in the film, he's done that. Mm-hmm. And so then, where do you go? Well, I guess the point is that he's the last half is him trying to find the ending. Mm. He hits on the idea of writing himself into it, but then he has a lot of uh, second thoughts about that, and he, he, but he can't figure out what to do. And eventually, in a moment of desperation, because he's getting also under a lot of pressure to deliver this script to his agents, because he's, he's already signed a deal to produce it, so mm-hmm. he's getting a lot of calls from his management to kind of ask him, you know, hey, is it finished yet? Do you reckon it'll be done by Monday? And he's barely even started. And mm-hmm. There's lots of him like sat in front of a typewriter just procrastinating wildly, which you know I could certainly relate to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, I can have a bagel. A bagel would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he even has a moment when he almost runs into Meryl Streep, who is mm. the writer of the book he's working on, who he's yeah. never met at this point. But he chickens out because he, he, he's too scared to meet her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he decides that he does need to meet her to kind of try and figure out a way to end it all, mm. to end this, this, this story. Uh, and so he decides to go to New York to meet her. Mm-hmm. And then when he tells his brother that that's what he's going to do, his brother says, oh, by the way, um, this screenwriting seminar that, that helped me to write this million-selling mm-hmm. screenplay, it's being held in New York, you should go. And he's got absolutely no respect for these kind of screenwriting classes. They teach, like, they teach, like the rules of screenwriting. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, the golden rules. And it's like very formulaic of how you write a story and how you don't write a story. It's mm-hmm. very prescriptive. And he, obviously being Charlie Kaufman, wants, thinks of himself as being much more outside the box. He doesn't want to follow these kind of rules. Mm-hmm. But... In desperation, he goes. And then we get this really good scene with the lecturer who's, like, giving this talk about the do's and don'ts of writing a good film script. Mm. Yeah, I thought this was probably one of the best scenes in the film. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. We see him in the audience watching this seminar and all the way through, he's like, I can't believe I'm watching this. I'm such a hack. I hate myself. I don't know what I'm doing. I should just leave. I should just leave. I should just leave. And then it just cuts through, like, and God help you if you include a voiceover. Yeah. (laughs) And then it goes like, voiceovers are lazy, they're just an excuse for easily telling things you can't show, and Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. Uh, So it's basically, he's calling himself out Mm -hmm. for the use of the voiceover. Yeah, yeah. So then he kind of asks the screenwriting expert 
for advice. He says he wants to write something that's more about reality and uh, about how in real life big interesting changes and in character arcs don't happen like they do in the movies. Mm-hmm. And then he gets this huge rant back about how of course real life is interesting and if it's not then you mustn't be a very good writer and he gets completely shamed and mm-hmm. torn apart basically. Yeah. Uh, but then he I mean and he's, and he's, it, it it's weird that nobody mentions at this point he wrote being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. He doesn't like. Which like at no that, point that, does that, that, that's, a, that's a major Hollywood movie. He wrote being John Malkovich. Yeah, he's been nominated for an Oscar at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah, but I think that's funny. Like he's not obviously the the, the screenwriter doesn't recognize him. Yeah. yeah, and he's not the kind of person to be like, well, I did get nominated for an Oscar for my last thing. Like he's just because he's so like self effacing. Like yeah. has no has no self confidence, even though he's had all this success. But anyway, he's really shaken by what the guy says and he, he begs this screenwriting expert to help him out and they end up going to a bar together and talking it out. And the screenwriter just says, well, you just need to come up with a really good ending mm. and then everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. So just make a good ending and make it, uh, you know, you can't cheat and for God's sake, don't do a deus ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't figure out, did he do a deus ex machina? I don't think he did actually, did he? I think he did keep the, the actual ending of this film isn't a deus ex machina, is it? What's the definition of that? It's when something out of nowhere solves the problem, right? Yeah, but I was wondering if, like, does the crocodile... Is is that a deus ex machina? I don't think so. I wouldn't say that counted. Because it is... It's more like something... Because that's been, that's been established previously, like, that they're in a swamp with okay, a crocodile. Yeah, yeah. That, that's hinted at from, like, really early on. You see the shots of... Uh, mm, yeah, you do. Chris Cooper and Meryl Streep wading through all the crocodile-infested waters, mm. so... No, no, no. I think I think it actually doesn't do a Deus Ex Machina. I think my favourite bit of this movie is when they're wading through the swamp mm. um, and they finally, like, after getting lost and everything, and Meryl Streep has had it. Like, she's hot, she's sweaty, she doesn't... Oh, this is just when it's Chris Cooper and Meryl Streep, yeah? Yeah, yeah. In the kind of alternate storyline. Yeah, 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 a bit yeah. earlier in the film. And, like, sure. she, and she hates this guy at this point, and, like, he's, mm-hmm. he's gone off in a huff at one point, and they're lost, and eventually they find this orchid... And she, mm. she sees this orchid in its natural habitat for the very first time. And she's like, oh my God, it's just a flower. Yeah. I burst out <laughs> laughing at that point. I was like, oh my God, I love you, Meryl. You're the best. It's the best <laughs> thing in this film. Yeah, she no, tells, exactly. She That's... tells it as it is. It is just a flower. What is the obsession with orchids? They're just like an interest. People like them because they're like sexual, I guess. Do you know what else is sexual? They look like lady parts. <laughs> Sex is sexual. Just do that instead. Sure. A lot of films do. There's more films about sex than there are about orchids, Harry. Well, yeah. that is very true. But, yeah. but that's a good point, because that that is what she realises. She's been... Her character is kind of searching for the, the deeper meaning behind La Roche's obsession with the flowers, and she mm-hmm. really wants... She says that she's never been obsessed with anything in the way that he's obsessed with the flowers, mm-hmm. and he wants... She really wants to find like the deep meaning in what he's doing. And so she kind of tries to glob onto it a little bit and she builds all up in her head. And then when she finally sees it, she's like, oh, it's just a flower. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean anything to her. Yeah. So, and she's disappointed. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great scene too. Meryl's great in this. Yeah, yeah, she is. I mean, shocker, Meryl Streep in good acting, shocker. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise. She really pulled this one out of the bag. Yeah. What I came to understand is that change is not a choice. Not for a species of plant, not for me. It happens, and you are different. Maybe the only distinction between the plant and me is that afterward I lied about my change. I lied in my book, I pretended. 
pretended with my husband that everything was the same, but something happened in the swamp that day. Hey, look! I told you I'd find the jewel of the Fakahatchee! It's a flower. It's just a flower. Yeah, so Charlie follows Meryl to New York mm-hmm. to try and meet with her. And there's, I think one of my other favorite scenes in the movie is when he's he goes to the building she works in, gets into the lift. Oh, yeah. And then she gets into the lift. Doesn't recognize him, obviously, because she's never met him before. Yeah. And he's just so nervous that he loses his bottle and he spends the whole lift journey just not talking to her. Mm-hmm. But I just thought, like, it's a, it's only a short scene. It's very it's like there's no dialogue. But I just thought Nicolas Cage's acting was so good where he's stuck behind her. You can see him trying to get his, his nerve up and he almost mm. talks to her a couple of times and then he just doesn't. And mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. I think we've all been in, like, situations when we've been, like, too nervous to talk to someone. You're like, ooh, 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 ooh. Oh, no, and oh just, definitely, yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you always yeah. feel like you you hate yourself the moment the the opportunity's gone. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, I had the perfect opportunity. Why didn't I say anything? Ah. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of that in this movie with his. I mean, there's also there's a kind of a subplot we've not really talked about with his um, relationship problems. Or is like you know he, he's very awkward around women. Like yeah. he, he struggles with women. He's got this cute little British friend who obviously quite fancies him, but he lets the moment pass because he bottles out of like reciprocating at this moment when she's very like mm-hmm. obviously hints and she wants him to come in with her after a party mm-hmm. uh, there's Judy Greer as the waitress who uh, mm-hmm. likes the, who's, who's obviously just a nice waitress who's just being polite because that's her job in the yeah. way that American service staff often are like super friendly but she, he reads too much into it tries to ask her out and then it's just again it's your heart breaks for him because even though mm-hmm. it's like it's cringy but it's just like again who hasn't been shot down like that you know and he's just like he, he starts and he, as soon as he starts asking her he realises oh I've made a huge mistake yeah. just from her face and then it's just oh it's so cringy it's so yeah. sad but <laughs> oh, and we get and the worst thing is she then goes to like her colleague or whatever and just tells her right, yeah. right and they're both looking at him and everything it's mm. that is the nightmare oh it is yeah it's, it's true it's very visceral but um yeah. I did like all the intercuts of like every time you see him talking to a woman, it'll immediately cut to a, a shot of him masturbating while thinking of the same woman. There'll be like a fantasy yeah. sex scene. Yeah. I mean, the the thing that really made me laugh, I don't know if, I'm sure you noticed it too, is this came before Arrested Development, this film. Oh, yeah. But you can't just put Julie Greer in a movie and make her get her breasts out anymore. <laughs> it's just, say goodbye to these. <laughs> oh, it's her. Yes. Right. Oh, that made me laugh so hard. when Because I just immediately thought, like, it's not a particularly funny scene, but just as soon as, like, Judy Greer got a top off, I was like, say goodbye to these, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But yeah, there's a lot of that through the film. Every woman he meets, he kind of fantasizes about seducing, how they're all going to think he's a genius. And it always just dead cuts to him, whacking one off in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. Just... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so he meets Meryl, but he doesn't have the courage to speak to her and so he he phones up donald his brother and asks him for advice and he kind of he asks donald to come and join him in new york so donald flies out um because donald's very nice and he doesn't seem to have any problems with his brother even though his brother kind of resents him yeah so he's very happy to just hang out he's like he's kind of like donald's kind of like a puppy dog he's just like oh sure yeah that'd be fun yeah, like, <laughs> yeah he's he very like mr peanut butter from um bojack Horseman. Oh, yeah. i thought <laughs> just kind of effortlessly successful and just like endlessly nice in a way that's just like mm. almost annoying but mm-hmm. yeah so donald flies out and he's he just says that if 
Charlie's too nervous, then he will pose as him because they are identical, mm. or mostly. Uh, he'll pose as him, and he'll interview Meryl on his behalf, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I did forget to mention. Sorry, the, the, I did want to talk about the scene when Charlie phones up Donald and says, "Hey, can you, do you want to come to New York and help me out because I'm really struggling?" And Donald's like, "Oh, sure, yeah." Oh, by the way, say hi to what's her face? Catherine um, Keenan. Say 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 hello to Catherine. He's like, "What? Catherine Keenan is in my house? Yeah, we're playing Boggle." Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Again, just like that, that the, the Mr. Peanut Butter of it all, just the complete like, yeah, great. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm playing Bogger with Catherine Keener and you can't talk to anyone because you're so nervous all the time. Like, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> uh, so Donald flies out. He interviews Meryl pretending to be Charlie, mm-hmm. which I also thought was really funny. And then he kind of suspects that she's lying about something because the answers that she gives to his questions are just too scripted. Mm. And he's like, she's lying. She's got something to hide. Mm-hmm. She, she, all her answers were so obvious and prepared. Uh, so they follow her around a little bit more. And they find out that Meryl is actually having an affair with John LaRoche, the Chris Cooper character who she wrote this story about, mm-hmm. the orchid thief. So they follow them around and they discover that they're actually, as well as having an affair, they are producing hallucinogenic drugs that are produced through the, the flower, basically. Yeah. It's like a powder from the flower stem, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think Chris Cooper's character kind of extracts it, but then Meryl's kind of being enjoying. There's some great scenes of Meryl actually on the drugs, which, again... <laughs> just wonderful Meryl acting when she's like on the phone to him and she's just like humming the dial tone to herself. <laughs> I, I, For that, I was kind of a, hoping for a bit more again. You wanted it to go full like I am the Eggman cuckoo cachoo kind of thing. Like. Yeah, just get completely zany with it but she's just humming mm-hmm. a dial tone and yeah, maybe it's more realistic, I don't know but it's not quite what I wanted from Meryl getting high. Sure, I, I, I appreciated that it, that it was kind of low-key funny. Mm. She's not, I just like that she was just like she just underplayed it really well. A lot of actors would have just gone like really big with like the hallucinating moment. She's just kind of like lying there, like, mm. yeah. The, the low key delivery really, really made it all the funnier for me. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I don't know what you mean. It would also be funny to see Meryl just like you know, I am the Lizard Queen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, John, hmm. you go like this. Ooh. No, keep going. No, no. (laughs) I'm trying to make a dial tone, and you have to sustain, and then I will join you, and together. See, I can't do it by myself. Okay, which one do you want me to do? Yes, yes, yes. Here we go. So anyway, uh, Charlie finds Meryl and Chris Cooper in this little drug den that they've got together, mm-hmm. and he, act, he he starts spying on them, and he is discovered. Mm. So they chase him through the house, and Meryl recognises him, because she obviously met his identical brother early on, thinks it's the same guy, mm-hmm. and she's like, wait, this, aren't you the guy who's writing the film about me? Mm. And uh, Chris Cooper's like, oh yeah, that's nice, who's going to play me? <laughs> but then this really freaks Meryl out, she's like, you've, have you been spying on us, have you seen all this, you've seen that we've got this drug den and mm. I'm having an affair with this guy because she's married to another guy. Is she? Does he, does he have a power? He's, he's, ba- he's barely in the film. He's in like two scenes. Okay. But yeah, she's got a husband so she's been caught having an affair and she, with this like, you know, quite odd shady character. Mm. 
who she's also written a book about, which would be a bit scandalous. And also, yeah, they're producing illegal drugs. Mm. So Meryl has a think about this, and then she goes, we're going to have to kill him. <laughs> yeah. It's a- and that's when the film really takes a 180 in a way that really made me laugh, because mm. it really then go, it really ramps things up a notch. And so, yeah, she decides that she's going to have to kill him to protect her reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her and Chris Cooper drive Charlie out into the middle of nowhere. She's, like, pointing a gun at him. But unbeknownst to them, Donald, the twin brother, is hiding in the car as well. Yeah. So just at the point when Meryl's about to shoot Charlie, Donald jumps out, knocks Meryl over, and the two brothers like run away into the wilderness to, and they have to hide all night. Yeah. And so they're hiding from Meryl and Chris Cooper in this kind of swamp area. They have this little heart-to-heart where Charlie admits he's always been jealous of Donald and he doesn't take his writing seriously. Mm-hmm. And they have this nice little anecdote about love and the meaning of love and how and why Donald is so much more optimistic than Charlie and mm-hmm. even though they both get made fun of a lot by other people uh, and it's nice it's a really nice little moment yeah and then they kind of fall asleep together having reconciled the next morning they wake up and try to escape and Merrill and Chris Cooper discover them and shoot at them and Donald gets shot in the arm mm-hmm. and as they're driving away Charlie crashes his car and Donald is thrown through the windscreen and killed mm-hmm. yeah very dramatically. Then Charlie runs off into the marshes, still chased by Meryl and Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper is then eaten by a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously Meryl's heartbroken and then and then she's tearfully accuses Charlie of ruining everything, which again I think is kind of a messy thing about the writing of the story. Mm-hmm. She gets arrested and he now has a perfect ending to his, his film. Yeah, I guess. And then the, the film ends with him finally finishing the book. Because uh, he's managed to give it an interesting ending. I mean, a guy gets eaten by a crocodile. That's pretty damn interesting. Um, so he's, it ends with him at peace. He's finished his work. He even gets up the courage to tell his cute British friend who's disappeared for the whole movie that he, he loves her. Mm-hmm. And it ends on just a sweet, optimistic little quirky note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And that's, uh, that's adaptation. <laughs> it's a silly film. It is, but it's a very clever film. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked it. I really like it. Of course you did. Um, do you want to get us drinking games? Sure, yes. Go for it. Okay, so first one, obviously. Drink whenever Nicolas Cage has a little bit of um, bit of time with himself. Oh, every time he masturbates? Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite frequent. Yeah. <laughs> I always I love the one where his brother just walks in on him. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it, that always gives me like so much anxiety when that happens in the films when he's just having to lie there like... <laughs> To pretend that's not what he was doing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Just every time Nicholas Cage ha- masturbates or has a sexual fantasy involving a woman. Yeah. Which is yeah. mostly those scenes coincide. But there's yeah he has them all of them I think the Tilda and Judy Greer and Meryl and mm-hmm. yeah very good. Okay, drink every time Nicholas Cage is on screen with both twins at the same time. Ah, yeah, that's good. That's yeah. A good one. I-, I thought it was really well done. I couldn't really yeah. see the joins at all. No, no, that, uh, it was seamless, completely. Yeah, really impressively done. I don't know. I know that they used a lookalike in some scenes, but you really couldn't tell. Mm, yeah, they did a very good job. Mm-hmm. Um, drink whenever Charlie is reminded about his deadline. Yes, that's a good deal with the agents. Yeah. Comes up a lot. Yes, it does. Uh, okay. Um, any more? Uh, yes, drink for time codes. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's so much jumping around because you've got the two plot lines coinciding. You've got Meryl's story and you've got Nick Cage's story. There's loads and loads of jumping around, and it's mm. it's got to be deliberately confusing, right? Because it's oh, impossible yeah. to follow. Where yeah. it's like three years ago, six years ago, six months later, two months later. It's like what? Where are we? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I think it's deliberately supposed to be ridiculously hard to follow what time zone we're in at any particular point in the film. Yeah. Which I did start finding particularly funny as it as the more it went on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Drink whenever Donald comes in and just mentions something that's going really well for him. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Just casually drops into conversation. Hey, it's over six million. Or, yeah. <laughs> it's called The Free. Yeah. <laughs> I loved them. Yeah. Uh, okay. Similarly, Drink for references to their mom. Yeah. I found that little running joke really funny. Mom said it was dramatically taught. <laughs> Why do you ask mom how she feels about it then? <laughs> classic, like, brother banter, I think. Yeah, it was. Uh, that's all I've got. Okay, my last one. Drink for a celebrity or future celebrity cameo or small role. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we've got John Malkovich. And, I mean, all of the stars of being John Malkovich appear in the movie. Uh, Not um, John Cusack, though. Yes, he does. Does he? He doesn't have any lines, but he does. There's a bit where they're on set. When him and when the two brothers are on set. Oh, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Together, yeah, yeah. You just see him walk past. Mm. He doesn't have any lines. It's just a very short walk on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Catherine Keener has a couple of very short moments. And um, John Malkovich is in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but other ones, Maggie Gyllenhaal as Donald's girlfriend is mm. in a couple of scenes. Judy Greer. Uh, Tilda Swinton. Even Tilda. Tilda, you could mention. I mean, she's got more of an actual part. She's probably fourth build, I'd imagine, so, after yeah. the main three. Yeah. Did you know that all three of the main actors in this all got nominated for Oscars? Yeah, wow, that's pretty Nick Cage, Meryl Streep, and... Chris. In fact, this film only got four Oscar nominations, three for the acting and one for the screenplay, so... Wow, pretty good. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and Chris Cooper won. Hmm. He won Best best Supporting. So, uh, yeah, just drink every time you see a, a famous person in this film in a, in a, in a quite small role. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Cool, okay, well, should we uh, carry on then? Yeah, if you're done, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode, or if you enjoyed any other episode, then you might want to say thank you to me and John. If you do want to say thank you, then you can go to patreon.com slash beyondtheboxset, where you can support me and John for as much or as little as you want. If you do, you get a few bonus features. You get a bonus show, where every week me and John review a film. Uh, Normally we review cinema releases, but at the moment we're just taking requests from anybody. You don't even have to be a Patreon, and we'll review Mm -hmm. your film for you. Um, you also get a 30-second advert slot on the main show uh, once a month per person. Uh, also on the main show once a month, we do a Patreon episode um, where we pick a Patreon at random and they get to choose the film for us. You can guest if you want to, but you don't have to. Also, you get extended episodes of the main show and you get an exclusive Facebook group. So all that is available at patreon.com slash set. Indeed. Also, one more thing before we get to sequels. I've been doing weekly live quizzes on YouTube mm-hmm. every Friday at 8pm. Uh, most recent one was Drag Race. Also done Star Wars, Harry Potter, Disney. You know, there's, there's a big list of things to go at. And I can now announce that next week's quiz will be Marvel. A Marvel quiz? Well, that should be very... I can imagine that'll be very popular. Yeah, yeah. so this is going to be a quiz specifically on the films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not going to be mm. not going to be anything more than that. It's not, not going to be very comic-heavy or anything like that. Sure. So just, you know, do some homework, go and watch 24 films, and... Um, yeah. Well, I don't think anyone's seen them so far, so it's a big ask, but, you know... Yeah, it's quite obscure, isn't it? If you can tap into that tiny little cult of, you know, Marvel heads, then... Yeah. Uh, Maybe you'll get a bit of an audience, I don't know. Okay, we'll hopefully. See. Well, we'll see, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, never going to top RuPaul's Drag Race, but, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so for that, you can go to beyondtheboxit.com slash marvel, and that will direct you to the YouTube page where you can watch the quiz. This coming Friday, the 5th of June, live on YouTube at 8pm British time. 
Indeed. And also, if you're interested in how Harry has set up these live stream quizzes that he's been doing, he's also written a very informative blog post about it. So check that out too at beyondtheboxset.com. Yeah. Bonjour tout le monde. I'm Finn, and every Tuesday I host a podcast called Passport People, in which I talk to people from around the world about the places that matter to them. What is so special about each location? What makes each place tick? Where are they headed? To join us on our round-the-world trip, talking to a diverse range of fascinating people from an incredible variety of professional and cultural backgrounds, search for Passport People in Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, without any further ado, shall I go on with my first sequel? Hit me, Harry, with a sequel. I'm interested to see where you've gone on this week. Okay, well, the first one I've got here... Um, is, mm-hmm. Oh, is, there's more than one. Yeah, I've got, uh, well, at least two. One of them's very small. I don't know if we can expand it. Sure. As in, the third one I've got is very small. Um, the first one I've got here is called Adapting the King. Adapting the King. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So, since the original, Meryl Streep has been put away for her crimes in the first film. <laughs> She's gone to jail, sure. Yes. Saving hard time. She is serving a life sentence at a minimum security prison. So think of an Orange is the New Black kind of situation, but I'm not going to do a crossover. Sure. Okay, sure. She is the leader of the old white lady gang. Okay, <laughs> in this prison? Yes. They spend their time knitting nooses in exchange for cigarettes for the more depressed inmates. Oh gosh, that's dark. <laughs> <laughs> they also get TV privileges, which okay. somehow includes Netflix. It's a very privileged prison. Sure, okay. One day, her and her gang, they're watching Tiger King. Oh, and she the, gets uh, that, right into it. Okay, that, that new Netflix you. documentary. I'm sure everyone's seen it now, yeah. Or at least knows what it is. Um, yes. She finds it so fascinating that she decides to write another book, mm-hmm. specifically about Joe Exotic. Okay. So she needs to find out more from Joe himself, um, things that the show didn't explain. Um, so she calls him. By the way, he is also now in prison. He is, yes. Yeah. Spoiler alert for Tiger King. The Tiger King is in jail. Yeah. So she starts to build up a bit of a phone relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And this relationship eventually gets rather sexual. Uh, well, she certainly um, has interesting tastes, this character. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so she goes on to write a book about all I mean, of she's this. barking up the wrong tree. Maybe, maybe they've both got things going on on the side. Okay, the Tiger King was pretty flamboyantly gay. I, I, I know, I know. Okay. Maybe he's, maybe he's changed in prison. I mean, it's normally the other way around, but sure. Well, anyway, this it, it all gets very interesting, and she writes she writes a book about this, and she sends mm-hmm. a a draft copy to Charlie Kaufman to see if he wants to oh, okay. adapt it into a movie. Oh, so she's forgiven him then for everything. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Okay. Or she's taunting him. Okay, one way or another, sure. Yeah. Okay. He obviously doesn't want anything to do with Meryl. Mm-hmm. But Spike Jones decides that he wants to make a movie out of it after the film adaptation did so well. So he tries mm-hmm. to force Charlie to write it. Charlie says he'd rather have his arm bitten off by a tiger before adapting it into a film. <laughs> oh, I can see where this might be going. <laughs> so Spike Jones puts the call out for writers and it very quickly gets picked up by a pair of podcasters from Leeds who do their best. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, you've gone really massive. <laughs> Um, this is the end now. One year later, the script is absolute shit. One of the podcasters is dead, and Meryl has been paid very handsomely. We finish with Spike John saying, "I will never financially recover from this." Oh, so the film's a huge bomb. Yeah. Okay. Which of us is dead? It's for for you to decide, John. 
You obviously. <laughs> <laughs> wow, harsh, bitch. So are you? Are you? Are you imagining this is like playing out along the lines of the original film? Like me and you were like yin and yang characters who were kind of sort of yeah. And then one of us dies in a car accident or something like that. Okay, little dark, but uh, I, I can appreciate the idea behind it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's similar to the first one, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, no. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I almost went down the, the meta route as well of like doing a a sequel about how hard it is to podcast a sequel idea for this film. Yeah. So, I can see where you're going with that. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Yeah. So that was um, Adapting the King. Adapting the King. As in the time. I thought you were going to, yeah, I thought you were going to do like a Lord of the Rings thing. I was like, well, this is going to go very like widescreen. But <laughs> no, I think Tiger King is a better choice. Definitely. Yeah. Um, the next one I've got here is called Being Charlie Kaufman. Being Charlie Kaufman. Okay. Yeah. So Charlie is going to be going about his miserable life. Sometime before the events of writing the script to being John Malkovich. Oh, okay. So pre-fame in many ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One night at home with his twin. He has an out-of-body experience. I mean, he's still in his body, but he feels like somebody else is in control. Okay. He's in his bedroom by himself. And he gets up, goes and looks in the mirror. He sees himself. He touches his face, feeling his skin. He brushes his fingers through his thinning hair. And he says, hello. Oh, my voice sounds weird. And then he slowly touches his crotch. He lies down on his bed and has himself a little Tommy tank. A little Tommy tank? It's rhyming slang, John. Look it up. Since when do you use Cockney rhyming slang? <laughs> this is a new development. When he finishes, he suddenly feels a lot like himself again. Mm-hmm. He finds the experience extremely weird. And he goes to bed and thinks nothing more of it. The next morning, as he wakes up, the same thing happens again. Suddenly he feels like he's not in control. He gets up. Looks in a mirror again, says some things, and then has another little Tommy Tank. I'm really disturbed by this Tommy Tank. Is that actually the official Cockney rhyming slang for a wank? Yeah, according to CockneyRhymingSlang.co.uk, yes. Okay, it just sounds so infantile. <laughs> okay, sorry. Well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll change it then. So, um, and then he has a, another little Matla Blank, and uh, <laughs> okay, suddenly, better, better, yeah. And <laughs> and suddenly he's himself again. Okay. The next time it happens at breakfast. Although, this one's a bit odd, because his twin brother is in the room. Um, okay. This time he just doesn't... Is this going to turn into another, like, twin cest No. Thing? This time... You, you've been down that route already recently. I'm starting to Have get I? concerned. Was it a twin cest, or was it just a gay... What was the thing you did the other week? Did you just get... Did you just get twin cest and gay mixed up? No, but you went down <laughs> some weird route recently that it was like... You wrote, you basically wrote gay fan fiction. Oh, was I did it... write... Ah, oh, yeah. I wrote a bit of a porno for something. What was it? Was it Chris Evans or something? And it was Nicole Kidman wanking off Chris Evans. Okay, it, well, it wasn't. It wasn't gay. Sorry, it wasn't twin cest. It was just regular fan fiction. Wow, John. Wow. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Do you really have that little opinion of me? <laughs> well, it's not a low opinion. Just a different opinion. <laughs> yeah. We're learning all sorts about each other in this lockdown that you, situation. I find it weird that you associated twin cest and gay. As he's lobbed it in together. No, I just meant like a same what a sex weird thing, life but you also lead as a gay man, John. Well, the twin thing was because the, there's twins in this film, mm. and then obviously sure, it's man sure. on man, so it's gay. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just about, Finish your story. Just about saved yourself from that one. God, John mm. looks really annoyed at me, listeners. It's just my face. <laughs> yeah. So the next time this happens at breakfast, he has a bit of a out of body experience. Um, but his twin brother is in the room, so this time, apparently, he just has a conversation with his brother, which must have really confused his brother because he was just like, "Who are you?" sort of mm-hmm. thing. 
while... So is he is he having a, a, a conversation while masturbating, or is he just he's having not, a conversation? He's not masturbating, down no, no, no. Okay, so he's um, just having a conversation, but it's an out-of-body thing, and he's not in control of what's being said. I only built the masturbating into this, because I was just thinking, like, if suddenly you had control of somebody else's body, mm-hmm. what, what would most people actually do? I mean, it depends on the person, really. <laughs> true, true, yeah, definitely. But, like... For sure. Yeah. Come on, let's okay. let, let, let's face it. We've all thought about it. If you're in somebody else's body, what would you do? Yeah, I guess. Sure. <laughs> don't make it out like I'm weird, John. Ah, oh, God damn it! <laughs> I just don't understand. Like of all the things you could do in someone else's body, like you can masturbate in your own body any time. Yeah, but it's more exciting. No, no. Let's let's not go down this route. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I mean, who are you thinking of specifically? No, but oh my god, I'm moving on. <laughs> this is crap. Well, anyway, so he goes to work. He's working at the studio at the moment. He's currently, uh, well, they're currently filming a TV show that he's written. Mm-hmm. Everyone looks at him, and uh, Linda from HR takes him to one side and explains what's going on. She explains, nobody wants wants her to tell him this, but uh, everybody has found out that behind the filing cabinets or whatever, there is a secret passage that leads directly into his brain. Ah, Okay. People can control him for a few minutes before they get spat out at the other end, which happens to be next to a freeway a few miles away. Doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. Yeah, so he gets quite annoyed by this. Mm-hmm. Or, Understandably or, so. Or, sure. ha- or ha- has a reaction to it, at least. And mm-hmm. uh, just like, hey, show me this. Show me this tunnel. Mm-hmm. And so then he goes into he goes into this tunnel and goes into his own brain. Oh, is it that, like, when it gets to the Malkovich, Malkovich thing, where there's, like, mm-hmm. millions, everyone has his face? Yeah, basically. And so he, he comes out in the studio, again, mm-hmm. and they're filming this TV show. I don't know what TV show it is. Maybe it could be, like, Friends or something. Okay. Um, well, is he working on the set of this TV show? Yeah. Is he, like, writing for it? Is it, like, he's a jobbing screenwriter? Like, he's, he's, he's like, what, yeah, yeah, part exactly. of writing yeah, stuff yeah. for Friends? Okay, sure. Yeah. Oh. Imagine Charlie Kaufman writing for Friends. Well, to, to, weird plots. To be honest, I thought he did, but um, it, it's uh, Marta Kaufman. That's Marta Kaufman. I, think, I don't think they're any relation. No, <laughs> no, their surnames are spelled differently. I think he'd be more of a Thirsty Rock kind of guy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so he he, he, come, he comes out into the studio and like everybody is him and all these characters are him and everything and all just saying Kaufman. I don't really know where to go from here, by the way, so we need to start coming up with ideas. Uh, well, is this, is the idea of this that it's going to inspire him to then write the actual film being, being John Malkovich? Yeah, definitely. Okay. How's he going to get out of it? Because in, what happened to John Malkovich? How did, did he just, did they just close the, the gate in the end or did people keep using it? I, you know what? I really don't remember, to be honest. I feel like they closed it, didn't they? Because John Malkovich was not happy about the whole situation. He was very unhappy about the situation. Yeah. Yeah. You would be, I don't know. How about, um, instead... We have it with Charlie Kaufman. Is like, okay, this is weird, and mm. people are now paying to to essentially be me for a few minutes. Like, people mm. really want to experience my shitty life as this, you know, depressed middle aged balding man. To be fair, yeah, he's not. John Malkovich was a movie star. Like, yeah. what's the appeal for these people? I don't know, <laughs> but for whatever reason, people want to go and be in his brain for a few minutes. They want to okay. experience experience his life. And okay. He's like, well. I feel like a bit of a failure everywhere else. So you know what? Great. Let's do this. Okay. And so suddenly he's fully on board. Okay. And he starts making money out of it, basically. So he just starts renting out space in his own head? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rent my brain. Okay. He just fully, like, yeah, he fully cashes in on it. 
Yeah. And then it inspires him to write a very successful film. Yeah, I guess. Sure. And maybe that's the secret to his creativity. Because he's got so oh, many it's different not people his, in his creativity. Brain. Yeah, he's got all these different brains in his head that that's why he comes up with all these crazy ideas all the time. Because right. it's just, he's got everyone's creativity who shares his brain and everyone's got their own weird little ideas. So. Uh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That could be good, yeah. That, that could be like, why is Charlie Kaufman so got such an interesting view on the world? Why is he so meta? Because yeah. his entire life is meta. Yeah. He's this co- composite of all these different consciousnesses. That could go. That could really go to like a, a very like yeah deep Charlie Kaufman multi layered level. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that. So that's being Charlie Kaufman. Being Charlie Kaufman, great. Yeah. Is there a third? Um, there is, but let's not bother getting into it. My listen submissions get into it better than I do. So. Oh, okay, sure, cool. Well, they were both very good. I like them. The second one in particular, despite mm. all the weird revelations about your fantasy life. But, oh uh, my god, that's a thread. No, there's been a lot of that since we've gone on isolation. I'm enjoying this little. Uh, Runner, we've got oh, oversharing. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. You're the one who got homosexuality and twin stuff mixed up. Well, I'm not the first and I won't be the last. <laughs> you are a homosexual, though, John. What does that say yes. about you? I'm just saying. You've never heard of twinning? come out of this podcast the weirdest? Have you never heard of twinning? Uh, no. It's a very common thing. It's like you know how some like gay men end up going out with people who look almost identical to them. Do they? It's quite common. Yeah, a lot of gay men end up their boyfriends end up looking exactly like them. Yeah. And it's like yeah, but there's definitely something going on with her. I don't know. All right. Okay. Well, so not only have you, did did you get homosexuality and twin sex mixed up, but you just can't. You 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 just argued for it. <laughs> you just argued a case for it. Not actual literal twin cest, but uh, you're weird, you know, John. You're weird. It's a very common. It's a very common fit. Well, like being John, into twins is not common. Take a minute, look in the mirror, give yourself a bit of a talking to. And a Tommy tank. If that's what, no, 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 don't, no. <laughs> All right, I'm done with this. Do your idea so I can go and throw up. All right, this protests too much. Uh, right, okay. So I've done a scene. <laughs> So I'm doing a kind of direct sequel to the film. Okay. Obviously, I thought I want to do it in a, as close to a Charlie Kaufman style as I can. So I've come up with a little concept here. I can't match him for creativity, but I'm thinking it's going to pick up immediately after the release of the film adaptation that mm. he's writing. Yeah. So the actual adaptation film comes out. And I'm thinking a good way to do this would be to change the actors. So it's not going to be Nick Cage playing Charlie Kaufman anymore. Okay. I think to make it an extra layer of meta it's going to start with the premiere of actual adaptation and how it comes out and it's a big success okay. and everyone loves it. Th- 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 um, this was my third idea that I didn't do. Oh, okay. So we've gone down similar routes. Yeah. So, yeah. Who, who do you think could play a Charlie Kaufman type if not Nick Cage? John Travolta. He's, he's a bit old for the role, surely. Oh, is this... I mean, I get, I get what you're going with, with that, Nick is Cage, this supposed John to be Travolta. Nicolas Cage, like, back in the day? Well, more like Charlie Kaufman... Around the time, yeah, you know, the way Nick Cage looks in this movie, mm. yeah, so yeah, you know, in his probably like late thirties or something. Okay, right, sure, sure. Um, hmm. Who's unhappy, balding, and in their late thirties? <gasps> John, when you do, I'm in my early thirties. Thank you, <laughs> and I'm not unhappy. How dare you? <laughs> No, you're not. All right, fair enough. Um, Ashton Kutcher. I mean, make him look make him look like shit, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I was thinking maybe Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh yeah, 
He's got a kind of a Nicolas Cagey potential to him, I guess. Sure, sure. Ashton Kutcher be a weird show. I don't think I like Ashton Kutcher for this. Why did you choose him? I don't know. I was thinking about Steve Jobs recently, I think. Oh, okay, sure. I mean, I've not seen him in that. Maybe that's a revelation, but he's, he's, he's not the right energy for me. I need a good actor. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's go Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so we pick up at the premiere of Adaptation, the movie, and we see how it's a huge hit. And once again, Charlie, much like with John Malkovich, he gets rave reviews. Everyone loves it. It's a huge success. We'll see him at the Oscars. with, and I think we can have cameos from Meryl, Nick, and Chris Cooper all playing themselves mm-hmm. and how they all thank him for you know writing these amazing roles that have given them all these huge you know, accolades. And um, it's great. But of course, him being him, Charlie Kaufman being Charlie Kaufman, He's still incredibly socially uncomfortable and awkward, and he's not enjoying himself in the slightest at the Oscars. Yeah, and all the success, he can't really appreciate it because he's just—he's too much of a—he's too neurotic. And even though he's found a way out of that one movie, that's still his personality. So he's still struggling with all that stuff. Uh, anyway, so the Oscars end, the hype dies down, and the time comes for him to start looking at what his next project's going to be. Mm. One thing's for certain, he decides he's not going to try and adapt anyone else's work again, because that was just far too stressful. Yeah. So it has to be an original thing this time, much like Malkovich. Yeah. So he has to come up with a new original idea. And everyone, again, is immediately like on his back. All, all of his agents and all his management are like, come on, Charlie, you've got all this red-hot hype from adaptation. You got Oscar-nominated, you know, mm-hmm. it was very successful what's the next thing let's let's build this momentum let's build on it don't waste this time so he's under all this pressure to like grab the moment mm-hmm. and it freaks him out and once again he finds himself right back at square one where he's got complete writer's block and he can't think of anything to do for his next idea and it's causing him to completely like spin out again mm-hmm. and just as he's hitting this kind of rock bottom moment where he's you know avoiding all of his cause and he's like locked away in his apartment trying to get an idea together and there's just nothing coming and he's right on the edge of rock bottom again and he gets a call saying that his late brother Donald's film script, mm. the one for the thriller, uh, The Free, has finally been optioned and is going into production. All uh, right, okay. Yeah. At this point, he's very confused because obviously this is the Charlie Kaufman who wrote Adaptation. Mm. So he's like, but but Donald isn't real. <laughs> Donald never existed. He's just someone I wrote for this story. Yeah. There is no script. He didn't exist. And the guy at the other end is like, oh, Charlie... What a, you're such a character. <laughs> of course he's real. I've got the script right in front of me. Mm. And it's been sold. Uh, and everyone's going wild for it. And we think it's going to be a huge success. And it's going to be a great tribute to your brother's talent. Mm-hmm. And so Charlie's completely bewildered. But it's true. The movie starts shooting. He starts getting all these updates that this movie's being made for a script that he never wrote. That was written by a brother that, as far as he knows, never existed. Mm-hmm. So he's very, he's very confused by this. And weirder still, when he starts talking to his family and friends about it, they also talk as if Donald did exist and he did in fact die. Ah, okay. Okay. I've got I've got a guess at what what this might be. Okay, do you wanna do it now or do you wanna save it? Is it Tell you what, write it down and then show me at the end. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sure. Because yeah, I don't I don't need to spoil it if you've got it right. Yeah. Because I'm in mid flow here. Have you written it down? Oh I was just about to do that now. Carry on. Okay. So he becomes obsessed with figuring this out uh, and starts to doubt his own sanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and evidence of Donald's past existence starts to haunt him everywhere. It seems as if like he's the only person who has no memory of him existing. Time goes on, and Donald's movie is made, and it comes out, and it's a huge success. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's a generic popcorn thriller. It's by no means an Oscar <laughs> movie, yeah. but it makes more money than all of Charlie's movies before now combined. Yeah. Like some more more money than Malkovich and adaptation and whatever else he did in his early career. It made more money than all of those films combined. Meanwhile, he still can't make any headway on his own script. 
and it feels like his fake brother is just haunting him from beyond the grave with all the success. Mm-hmm. Eventually, all of the pressure and resentments and confusion about this weird fake brother situation causes him to have a full meltdown and he decides he just has to get out of LA for a while. He has to just leave the city and run away and go on holiday or something. Yeah. So he's like frantic and thinking he's like frantically like throwing all things into a bag and it's like a last minute decision and he's just in his room like flinging everything into a suitcase. Uh, and as he's doing that, he comes across a business card in an old pair of jeans mm-hmm. uh, for a company called Lacuna. Mm-hmm. He doesn't recognize them at all. So he calls the number and asks for some more information. Mm. However, when he explains who he is, they abruptly tell him that they're not authorised to speak to him, and they hang up on him. All right. This causes even more concern, so he drives out to the address on the business card, uh, where he discovers that Lacuna appears to be some kind of medical facility. Mm -hmm. He manages to corner a doctor who explains that he received treatment at the facility some time ago, but as part of the process, it wasn't their policy to discuss these treatments with former clients. Mm Mm-hmm. He refuses to give up, and after doing some digging, he discovers that Lacuna is a controversial facility that erases people's memories on request. Ah, okay. Is this where you thought it was going? No, not quite. Um, okay. I, I, I guess that trauma from the end of the first film made him forget about his brother. Uh, no, not quite. So it turns out, at this point, we'll probably have like a bit of a flashback, you know, like a rewind scenario where we'll see the, some of the events of what actually happened. And we'll see, we'll learn at this point in the film, that... He really did have a brother called Donald, who really did manage to sell a commercial script and died in a car crash soon after, of which Charlie was the driver. Mm. Not necessarily in the whole man getting eaten by crocodile scenario, <laughs> but just let, let's just say they were in the car together. There was an accident. The brother died. He lived. Mm. And the combination of greed, resentment and jealousy caused Charlie to have a complete nervous breakdown, which is when he came across Lacuna and paid to have all memory of his former brother erased from his brain. Okay. Mm-hmm. You see where this is kind of building to now? I think so. Yeah. Okay. But as it turned out, obviously, the experimental process was not completely successful, and all of his memories of his brother that had been erased resurfaced in his writing process. So he mm. ended up writing it into his script for adaptation. Ah, okay. But he thought, okay. Okay. But he, thought he was making it all up. Mm. So now he's filled with anger and remorse, and he tries to get Lacuna to reverse the process and give him his memories back, but he discovers that it can't be done. Mm. That they've not developed technology to put memories back in. They can only remove them. Yeah. But he does also discover that there are many people who've had the procedure, and most of them regret it completely and have found it very psychologically damaging. Mm -hmm. So he spearheads a class action lawsuit against the firm and successfully has them closed down for good. Mm Mm-hmm. However, with no way of regaining his memories, he has to make peace with what he's done, and so as a way of making amends, he, he writes a screenplay about a man who erases his ex-girlfriend from his memory and deeply regrets it. Mm-hmm. So cut to the following year, and we see Charlie Kaufman finally winning the Oscar for the best screenplay for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah, So I like it's kind that. of an, a, an even more meta film about the creation of Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. And how it ties in with adaptation. Yeah. So that was Adaptation to Ideation. Very good. Mm-hmm. Very good. Oh, thank you. Should we get to listen submissions? Let's go, sure. Okay, so first up, uh, Mark Thomas Fleetwood has said, wouldn't the sequel just be another level removed? So you would have another Charlie Kaufman trying to write a film about trying to write this film, and he'd be played by John Travolta. Ah, I see. Okay, sure. Uh, Sam Williams says, triplets, baby! <laughs> Always a good shout for twin movies, throwing a triplet. Ollie Brady, uh, first of all, says, Haha, when John posts about this in Flophouse, don't know if you know what that is, he gives way less details and just shouts, Go! Oh, we've got some crossover. What group is this? Podcast Mates or something? Uh, Planet Broadcasting. 
Planet Broadcasting. Okay. Right. <laughs> oh, I, like, I like the connection's been made. <laughs> yeah, because I, I normally give like a full sequel, uh, uh, sorry, a full synopsis and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you put in a bit less effort on this. Oh, I literally just put adaptation sequel, go. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> but he does actually have a pitch. He says, Great. Homage. Homage? Homage. 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 Um, Silent H. Homage. Yeah. Uh, in which the main character sees clear copies of their work cropping up and has a second imaginary friend who is one of these authors, brackets, or even represent one of his pseudonyms. Alternate title or tagline, the sincerest form of flattery. Ah, I like it. Very good. Santeri Rakonin says, Charlie Kaufman is forced to become a staff writer on a Big Bang Theory type show. Oh dear, I don't think he'd like that. Nicolas Cage plays every character and crew member, except for the leading lady who's played by Laura Dern. Okay, I can see that. A bit of a uh, David Lynchy kind of vibe as well. James McLean says, turn your head on Kaufman. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> terrible. That's terrible. When Charlie is diagnosed with COVID, he tries to write his own obituary, which proves harder and more battery insane than you'd think. Okay. You know what? I thought that was just going to be a terrible pun and nothing else, but, you know, there was an idea attached, so yeah. I, he won me around. I've come back around on that one. <laughs> um, and the last one I've got here from Ryan Meacham. Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman again, where the studio wants a reboot and wants Nicolas Cage to play Charlie Kaufman. But Charlie Kaufman doesn't want that. So he tries to write a script that Nicolas Cage wouldn't want to be a part of. But every draft just interests Nicolas Cage even more. Yeah, I don't think there's a, any way to write a script that Nicolas Cage will say no to. No, I think he exactly. just picks up from his agent, calls from his agent and just says yes. Like, yeah, yeah. Not exactly high quality control these days is poor Nic- Nicolas Cage. No. And that's all I've got. Cool, very good. I have a few as well. Uh, Mike Carey said, Now Nick Cage's character has to make a new movie based on the board game Operation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, adaptation, Operation. Yeah, so yeah, It's like yeah. a, a reimagining. Uh, Adam Kushner said, An extra meta sequel where Susan Orlean, again played by Meryl Streep, attempts to write a novelisation of the movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. Says so about her writing the novelisation of the film about the book oh, that she wrote. okay, so okay, yeah. Layers and layers and layers like that. Drew Mancini said, it's called Original Screenplay, and it's an upbeat comedy from the brother's perspective while he's writing The Free. <laughs> so it's the same story, but as told by his kind of happy-go-lucky brother. Yeah, sure. Cool. I don't know if that means it's going to end in his untimely death or what, but sure. Uh, Dennis Fanning said, rebootation. Adaptation, rebootation. Mm-hmm. Class- very much, you know, yeah, for today. Yeah, yeah. Over on Twitter... Cinema Adventure Pod said, The sequel to this would be the anxiety of having to promote it when it comes out. So the anxiety Charlie Kaufman suffers when this adaptation film comes out and he has to promote it. Mm. With a side quest involving tigers this time for some reason. Ah. And finally, Next Best Picture Pod at Next Best Picture said, My God, I love this movie. I'm not sure how one would do a sequel, but Kaufman has had a rough time in the Hollywood film industry recently and it would be interesting to see a documentary on his career one day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... Charlie Kaufman had these three huge hits, um, well, three very acclaimed movies with um, Malkovich, Adaptation, and Eternal Sunshine. Like, mm. huge success. And then since then, he's done some films that have been, like, well-reviewed, but, like, have all bombed, and he's had a really hard time to get films made. It's mm-hmm. quite sad, actually. Um, so that could be an interesting story, to potentially a slightly bleak one, but about his uh, struggles in Hollywood Yeah. Af- after that golden period of success that he had. So, yeah, very interesting. So thank you everybody for those sequel ideas. We ask for your listener submissions every week, a few days before we record, by putting posts out on Facebook and Twitter where you can post your ideas. So make sure you like and follow our pages if you don't want to miss out. 
To listen to more episodes of Beyond the Box Set, you can subscribe and browse our back catalogue on any podcasting platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and many others, all of which you can also leave a five-star review if you like. It really does help us out. As mentioned before, we're also available on Patreon, which is exclusively for the people who would raise us more than five stars if they could. You can find all the links in the description below or at beyondtheboxset.com. And next week, Harry, I'm tossing the ball back to you. Listeners, do you ever feel that, especially given lockdown, that everything starts to get a bit repetitive and you just feel like you're just doing the same thing again and again every day? I know I do. You get up, you have breakfast, you wait for Louise to go and take the dog for a walk. Meanwhile, you give yourself a little Matt LeBlanc. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know, just uh, everything just gets the same and all the days kind of merge into one. Well, welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Box Set's new season where we are going to be doing films that do the Groundhog Day thing. Ooh, okay. First up is going to be Groundhog Day. Just I mean, it's an obvious place to start, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the second up is going to be Groundhog Day as well, and then third and fourth, and we're just going to do Groundhog Day every week for eternity now. <laughs> no. That would be quite meta. But <laughs> it would, but it would also be quite boring. Yeah, so next week, Groundhog Day. Oh, that should be fun. I love that film. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been on my list for a while, actually. And uh, yeah. yeah, same. Good shout. Let's see how it goes. It'd be good to come back to it. I've not seen it in a very long time. Mm. I'm interested to see if doing multiple films on a Groundhog Day theme will make writing the sequels feel like Groundhog Day. Yeah, I'm quite interested to see how, how this theme plays out as well, to be honest. Because like, I've got three ideas, including Groundhog Day, and they're mm. all very different films. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Two of them might be a little bit similar. I don't think so. But I'm just wondering if they're going to feel, like, extremely similar. Sure. Well, only one way to find out. Yeah. Cool. Next week, Groundhog Day. See you later, everybody. Was it? See you later. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Flower. Just a flower.